Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. We've been in this series called Cries of the Cross, and really what this is is we say cries, statements, phrases, whatever word you want to use. What we've been doing is talking about the seven phrases, statements, cries of what Jesus said on the cross. He said only seven things in six hours. And so what we've been doing is we've been breaking down each week one of those things that he said. The first week we talked about a forgiving cry. We talked about how he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Last week we talked about an eternal cry, how he turns to the thief and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I'm excited to talk to you today about another cry and that's a faithful cry. And before I dive into this, I do wanna say this. The purpose of this series is really my heart as I've been praying and really what God's been doing in my heart is well is really that we would be a people that allow the cross to awaken in us a new passion for the cross because again we know the 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 cross of Jesus we understand it we believe in it we 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 celebrate it on Good Friday and we celebrate the resurrection on Easter and that's all great but what can happen is it can become so routine for us that sometimes we can miss or, or lose the awe or the wonder or the importance of the power of the cross in our lives it is the very most fundamental thing of really our Christianity the cross and the resurrection the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and so I'm praying that this season that we walk through these seven phrases that a new passion uh, for the power of the cross would come alive in your heart and in mine. And so I want to talk to you about a faithful cry today, and I'll read you the scripture in just a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 is really where we get the text for the whole series. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him endured the cross. That, that joy was you and I, relationship with you and I, now and for eternity, and despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This joy that was set before him, he chose to endure the cross. And he only said seven things in six hours. I don't know about you. I've said it every week, but I'll continue to say it. If it was me and it was six hours and I was on the cross, I'd be saying more than seven things. I'd be saying about 700 things. I'd be, I'd be yelling. At, I'd be doing anything I can do. But Jesus chose to only say seven things. And I believe the reason why is because he wanted those seven things that he said for us to understand the importance of the principles of these seven things. I want to talk to you about a faithful cry when the story in the John where Jesus is on the cross. And the Bible says that Mary, his mother, is with him. We'll pick it up right here in John chapter 19 and verse 25. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, and is Mary, the wife of Clopas, and also Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus is on the cross and he looks over and he sees his mother and he sees Mary Magdalene. He sees these different women, but then he also sees John. And the Bible says that he looks at his mother and he says, here is your son. And he looks at John and he says, now here is your mother. And the Bible says that John hears this and he takes his mother from then on and begins to, I mean, Jesus' mother. And he begins to care for Jesus' mother as his own. 
for the rest of her life. And from this, I see a faithful cry. How do I see a faithful cry from this phrase? Because of this, Jesus was being crucified. He was on the cross. He had been beaten. He had been whipped. He had been, he had been putting a crown of thorns on his head. He had been nailed to the cross. He'd been nailed to the cross in his hands and his feet. And here's what's interesting. He's in this excruciating pain, and yet he still has time to care for others. He still has time to be faithful to care for his mother. And so this is so important as we walk through the process of kind of evaluating and looking and, and talking about the words that he said. It's so important that we would understand this, that we would not allow painful moments to keep us from remaining faithful in those moments. Pain can oftentimes cause us to justify reasons why we are not being faithful because of something we've walked through or because of the way that we feel or something that's happened to us. We then use that to justify, oh, well, this is why my actions are this way because of dot, 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 dot. Well, Jesus did not allow his pain to justify anything. He said, no, even in my pain, I'm gonna remain faithful. And I wanna to talk to you about this today. Two different types of faithfulness I see. The first type of faithfulness I see in this scripture is the faithfulness to stay. The faithfulness to stay. Well, what do you mean a faithfulness to stay? Jesus in this time, the Bible says, in this scripture, that he looks at his mother and he looks at John. He says, I want you to now care for and be responsible for my mother. Now, if you know the biblical text and the context of what's happening in this biblical time, Jesus was the oldest son. And the oldest son, when the father would pass away, and many believe at this time, Joseph had already passed away. And so when your father would pass away, what would happen was the oldest son would get the double portion, the double blessing, the inheritance of the father. But not only would he get the inheritance, the double blessing, he would also then now become responsible for caring for your mother. So the responsibility, the duty of caring for his mother was on Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing that he's dying and he's on this cross, he doesn't leave his responsibilities and say, oh, somebody else will figure it out. No, he said, I wanna continue even in my pain to steward the responsibilities and be faithful to them. And so he says, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I know this is my responsibility to care for Mary, my mother. And so now John, whom I love, I want you now to begin to care for my mother so that now you can take on that responsibility so now that I know it's continuing to be stewarded well. It's so important as believers, as Christians, that we would be people that remain faithful in stewarding what God has called us to on this planet. The responsibilities that he's called you and I to, it's important that we would remain faithful to those things. What are those things? I always say it's the things in our lives. What do we remain faithful? What do we steward? The things that God has given us that we are responsible for, your spouse, your job, your finances, your children, your neighbors, your, your family, your friends. We're responsible to, to your, your church. We're responsible to help continue to make sure that we're being faithful even in our moments of struggle. Here's the problem oftentimes when we walk through painful moments as humans. We oftentimes begin to look inward and we say people need to care for us. People need to, should be responsible in taking care of what my issue is or my problem is. Jesus never said that. He never said, John, come take care of me. No, he said, John, I want you to know I have this responsibility and I want to steward it well. So John, I want you now to care for this as well. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Come on, I know it's time change, but somebody got to help a brother out. And it's important that we remain faithful in the things God has called us to. And I see in this scripture that Jesus 
He was continuing to be faithful. And what are some things we can be faithful in? In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, excuse me, chapter three. The Bible says this. I want you to read this and check this out. It says in 2 Timothy chapter three and verse one, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Pause. In the last days, there will be very difficult, painful, troubling, hard times. And he says this, keep going in verse two, thank you. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and they'll be ungrateful. That doesn't sound like any children on this planet. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. He says, in the, in the, the last days, there'll be these difficult times, these hard times, these painful times, these troubling times. And he says, from that, there'll be these things that happen. And I don't know if you just read what I read, but that sounds a lot like today. I mean, we could go line by line, word for word, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's happening right now. Well, what does this show us? What happens is, and I love this, we're talking about being faithful. Jesus, you know, really, he showed us the, the, the picture of faithfulness even in our pain, even in our hard times, even in our troubles. And here, right here, I see three different things. There's multiple things, but I see three different things that the enemy can use or do to try to get us to lose or to shift or to let go of our faithfulness. One, in verse two, he says this. If you go back to verse two for me, he says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They'll love only themselves. Here's what happens. The enemy tries to get us in hard times and painful times, causes us to let go of our faithfulness and begin to then switch our devotion to something else. To switch our devotion. It says they'll love only themselves. We all know that we're called to love others and love God. The Bible says the most important commandment is love God above, above anything else and then love others as yourself. That's the most important thing. That is what we're supposed to be the most devoted to. But it's interesting that oftentimes in our culture and our society, we are now more concerned about loving and being devoted to ourselves. What we need what we want, what feels good to us, what looks good to us, what takes care of me, how I can feel better. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if we're not careful, we can put self as God and not God as God. We can make self what we really look to and that becomes an idol. And so what happens is then now, we're more concerned about caring for ourselves and being faithful to ourselves than we are being faithful to God and being devoted to him and we'll start to switch our devotions. It's so interesting in our culture and our society, what we have done is we have actually taken the world's concepts and we've tried to bring them and tried to merge them into what we call Christianity. To where now what we do is we come and we're looking for a Jesus that literally takes care of me and helps me and makes me feel good, and makes me rich, and makes me feel like I'm important, and makes me whole. Listen, Jesus definitely makes us whole. Jesus, Jesus definitely blesses us, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just so that we would be blessed. He came so that we could be in relationship with him, but relationship with him starts with devotion to him. And the enemy will try to get us to switch our devotion. And it's interesting, I have a little illustration. Y'all know me, I like props, my props. I've always got props, I'm gonna give you some props. Okay, cool, props, I'll say it again. All right, 
Here's what, oh, that's not it. I just gave you one of the props. Here we go, okay. We have this water bottle here. And so here's what it is. Oftentimes, the things we're devoted to, hear me, the things that we're devoted to oftentimes are things that we have to just continue day in, day day out, be faithful to. Things that are, are mundane, things that are routine, things like loving our spouses, things like being faithful in our job, things like reading our scripture, things like praying, things like uh, time with the Lord and your devotional time, things like coming to church, things like going to a small group, things like serving others. It can become this mundane, simple, simplistic thing, kind of like water. Here's the cool thing about water. Water will refresh you. Water will make you actually give you strength. In fact, if you go to the doctor and you have situations going on, sometimes, oftentimes, they'll ask you, how much water do you drink? For those that want to have long-lasting skin, they say, drink more water. Water can be something that's so healthy for us. But here's the problem about water. It's so boring. Like, look at it. It doesn't even look exciting, much less taste exciting. I've never had somebody say, man, this water tastes so sweet. If you got somebody that says their water tastes sweet, they're not drinking water. (laughs) They got too many minerals up in that mug. And let me tell you something, that ain't water. That's some type of polluted water. You might die. It's so simple and so simplistic, but yet here's what happens. It's oftentimes so boring. And so here's what happened. God calls us. The Bible says that he's living water. See, I can make anything spiritual. He says, here's what it is. We're called to be living water. We're called to have this devotion to him and devotion to our responsibilities. And here's what happens. Sometimes we can look at it and say, oh, it's just not any fun or it's just, it's just the same old thing. Well, here's what happens. We, we think and we feel good because we're being faithful to the water. We're like, man, I'm really a faithful Christian. But here's the thing. Faithfulness is not really faithfulness if there's no other options. Faithfulness to your spouse is not real faithfulness to your spouse unless there's other options. Now, when I'm saying other options, you're not like, yeah, I got like three sod pieces. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, okay? What I mean by that is you're saying I'm choosing my spouse over everyone else, okay? I'm choosing uh, your job. Your, you know, it's not real faithfulness to your job if it's the only job and the only opportunity you have. Here's what that is. That's just being stuck at your job, faithfulness is then I, when I have options and I ch- still choose to stay it's like this I got illustrations it's like this if I had this you know this right here here we go see that's not marked there's no label on that but y'all all know what that is you're like man I look at that bottle and I can almost taste it I can taste the sugar <sighs> You're watching a game, you're like, man, that water sounds horrible. I really like one of those. (sighs) So refreshing. Or you're like, no, that's not for me. I'm a little healthier than that. Then what you can do is you can go get one of these. And you're like, oh no, well this isn't colored, so it's better for me. It's got just as much sugar, baby. (laughs) Honey, sweetie. And here's what happens, you're like, oh, well it looks close. 
And so it almost feels the same. And so it's kind of close. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, the enemy can try to cause us to look at other things or do other things to keep us from really being devoted. And here's the issue. It may be sweeter for a moment, but if you continue to drink this for a long term, it will actually harm you. Or you're like, I don't like any of those. Well, we all like one of these. Now that one's not labeled, but we all know what that is. And here's the thing, like, oh, well, this looks or this feels so boring and so repetitive or it's, it feels so, so much like the same thing and it's just not exciting. Well, here's the thing, devotion is not, has nothing to do with excitement. Devotion has to do with saying, I'm choosing faithfulness over anything else. And so what happens is we get, we get our eyes on one of these and I know I'm being silly with these drinks, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. We can look at these different things. And I'm not saying, if you drink these, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not coming against sodas, okay? I was like, he said, okay, it doesn't matter. As we look at these, as we look at this, you know, the world creates this concept of anything we can do to try to create sugar or the way it looks or all these different things to try to get us to drink these things, and that's fine. But this right here, as boring as mundane as this is, this is what gives life. This is the thing that refreshes you. This, believe it or not, does not refresh you. In fact, this tastes so good, but if we're not careful, this will actually make us more thirsty. And here's the culture and the society and where we are. We're all drinking this spiritually, looking for the, the thing that will, will take care of us and, and that we'll enjoy, we'll enjoy that'll make us feel good about ourselves. And we're all looking for more and more and more and more when the answer has always been in the mundane devotion of walking with Jesus, being faithful to our responsibilities. Here's what's interesting. This is where the blessing is. This is where the life is. This is where the refreshing is. It's the same thing with our walk with our spouses. It's the same thing in our walk with our finances. It's the mundane moments of saving every, every paycheck. It's the mundane things of reading the scripture when no one else is looking. It's the mundane thing of taking time to pray. And even though you feel like you're praying the same thing at the same time, it's the mundane things that brings life and blessing. And we must be careful not to allow our devotions to be switched because of something that we see or because of something that we want in our, thanks bro, it's not something we want in our lives. Jesus did this, he said, I'm gonna remain faithful. He's, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna switch my devotion, I'm gonna make sure that I'm continuing to walk and live in the faithfulness of what God has called me to in my responsibilities. Then, the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter, I think it's chapter four, right? Verse two, if you wanna go back to it. From verse three, excuse me, I said two, that's my bad. They will be unloving and unforgiving and they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They'll, be, they'll begin to switch their devotion, but then they'll begin to lose their affection. It says unloving and unforgiving. They'll lose their affection, their passion. Let me tell you this, we can be devoted to people and not passionate about them. You can be devoted to your spouse and not affectionate towards them. Devotion doesn't just mean I'm committed. Yes, it means committed, but it's beyond that. I'm committed, but also I'm passionate. I'm giving of myself, my affection to whatever it is. You know, we can read our Bibles. 
We can get our Bibles and we can start scrolling. Yeah, I'm reading my Bible because I'm a good Christian. Okay, I read my Bible. Okay, I'll say my prayers. I'll say my prayers. And there can be no passion and affection to it. And let me tell you something. Attitude behind it is just as important as the action. It's not I have to. I get to. I don't have to love my wife. I get to love my wife. I don't have to go to this job. I get to go to this job. I don't have to read my scripture. I get to read my scripture. The moment it turns from get to to have to, that's where we lose our affection. I'm gonna do a little group exercise together. We're doing a group exercise. If you're married in the room, I'm doing a group exercise with you. If you're dating in the room, you can be a part of this. If you're single in the room, just, just wait for a second, okay? Praise God. If you're married in the room, I'd like you to look at your spouse in the eye. If you're dating, you can look at your, your dating partner in the eye. And I want you to say right now, in this moment, I want you to say one thing that you like about that person. One thing, go ahead. If you're single in the room, say one thing that you like about yourself. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, man, I look, my hair is looking good today. Come on, somebody. Man, I feel good about my, encourage yourself. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says, encourage yourself, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Okay, good. If you're married, say one thing right now, uh, or dating. You can say one thing that you like about the other person. Now, here's the thing. As silly as that is, here's the question. As mundane as that is, here's the question. How often do you do that? Because faithfulness is not just devotion, it's affection. So I wanna spend time, because here's what happens, y'all know, oh my goodness, for those that are married, y'all know we can pick, the, we can pick up we can, real quick the negative. You know what I'm saying? You say something, oh, we're about to say something else. You know what I'm saying? You don't pick up those clothes, oh, I told you 17 times to pick up those clothes. What, you can't hear me? What, you, de- what, you don't listen to me? What, you don't respect me? Whoa, I just didn't pick up the underwear, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can get real quick, hear me, we can get real quick with, with, with picking at the negatives. But here's the thing, if we're not careful, it can cause us to lose the affection. And here's the thing, devotion is not just commitment. Faithfulness is not just commitment. Commitment is very important. But you will lose the commitment if you don't stay faithful with being affectionate. Somebody else will be affectionate if you aren't. Is this okay? I know it's time change, but help her brother out. It'll start to change our devotion. Then we'll start to lose our affection. Then lastly, in verse four, if you want to pull up verse four from me, it says, they will, betray, they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than self. Three things we see in this scripture the enemy tries to do to remove our faithfulness, to, to swear faithfulness, to switch our devotion, Cause us to switch devotion, then after switching devotion, to cause to lose affection, then from there tries to get us to change our direction. Change our direction, our purpose. So here's what happens. I, 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 lose my, my, I, I lose my devotion. I stop being affectionate. Now what happens is the direction of my life starts to shift and I start to do something I'm not supposed to do. I start to not read the scripture as much because I'm not affectionate about it. I start to not go to church as much and say, oh, I'll catch church next week. It's not that big of a, I'm not, I'm, I'm changing my, oh, you know what, my spouse, they're frustrating me, they're whatever, and next thing you know, our eyes start to shift to someone else. It's interesting, because these very three things, talking about faithfulness today, if you flip them, it's the same thing. If you start to lose your purpose of why it is you do what you do, you'll start to become 
disinterested and lose passion for it. And then from losing passion for it, here's what happens. Your devotion starts to change. If you lose the purpose of why you're married, of why God brought you together, of why two are better than one, if you lose the purpose of why you're at that workplace, that God's called you to be a light, if you lose the purpose of why you're in that school and you're in that classroom, if you lose the purpose of why God is doing what he's wanting you to do in the direction that he's calling you to be in, in this moment, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna start saying, I hate this job. I hate it. And some of y'all with your spouse, I hate it. I was like, said, matter. okay, it's cool. And then what happens? We start to lose affection and passion about it. Then from there, because we don't know why we're doing it, and we lose passion about it. And next thing you know, we're saying, you know what? I'll just do, I'll, I'll be with somebody else. I'll get with somebody else. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just not go to church anymore. I just, you know what? I just won't read the Bible. You know what? I'll just, I'll just kind of let the Lord speak to me and just through my heart. And I'll just let him, him kind of share what he wants to share. And here's what happens. From not understanding the purpose, losing purpose, we lose passion and we end up changing our devotion. Faithfulness is this. I'm choosing to stay no matter what the options are. I'm choosing to be devoted. I'm choosing to be passionate and affectionate and I'm choosing to continue the purpose and the direction God has called me to. This is what Jesus did. In this simple, simplistic phrase, he showed us the picture of faithfulness. Then we see Mary. I love Mary in this story because Mary is there with Jesus and she shows us a picture of staying power as well. She was willing to stay with him in her time of need. What an incredible picture as believers, as Christians, what we are to do for others around us, that we would be a people that are faithful to stay and be there for people in their time of need. Here's what's interesting. Mary, Jesus wasn't on the cross and Mary didn't say, let me give you the five steps right now on how you are to get down off that cross. Okay, I know, you're in tr- I know you're in trouble. I know you got a lot of pain. I know you're hurting right now, but Jesus, let me give you some steps on how to remove that pain off of your life. Hey, don't worry about it, Jesus. I took a leadership course. Don't worry about it at school. Many years ago, I took a leadership course. I know the five steps. Listen to me right now. Jesus didn't do that. I mean, Mary didn't do that. Here's what Mary did. She said, I'm just gonna be here for you. Being there in her time of need, what an incredible picture of what Christians are to do. If we call ourselves Christians, our Christians are to do for those around us in our time of need. Sometimes people don't need answers. Sometimes people don't need advice. Sometimes people just need us to be there in their time of need. There's not many things worse than a family or a person that is in need and being alone. I don't know if you've ever been in a time of where you really were in need, but there's not many things and many, pe- many things that can happen in life where you can be going through that thing and you have nobody around you. And so this is why Jesus has called us to be faithful, to be there for people in their time of need. Or just being there. You don't have to give them advice. Maybe they want advice. Maybe they don't. You don't have to just pray. Maybe they want to pray. doesn't matter. But being there in their time of need and saying, I'm here for you because we love you like Christ loves us. I remember many years ago, probably 10 years ago now, I was a youth pastor for many years before I was a pastor. And as I was leading youth, I remember one, one student, his friend, best way I could say it, his friend took his own life. 
His friend, the, 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 one, the kid that came to the youth group, he called me and he said, I knew his parents, I knew the kid's parents who took his life and he said his parents want to meet with you and would you come? Would you come talk to us? I said, sure. No one ever told me how to handle a situation like this. When you go to school, if anybody ever goes to seminary or Bible college, they don't teach you. Here's the four things you do when someone dot, 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 dot. It's not what happened. I had no idea what to say. I had no advice to give them. I remember getting into this home, true story. I remember getting to this home, walking into this home. I remember sitting on the couch. I can remember exactly where I was. I remember the color of the couch even. I remember what was in the, I remember and I sat there with them, prayed under my breath. They cried, I cried, and I sat there for probably two hours. And I can tell you this, I said probably three things the entire time. They weren't looking for me to give them answers. They weren't looking for me to say, it's gonna be okay. Here's what they were looking for, someone to be there. And it's interesting, it's so interesting because they'll tell you even to this day, they've still told me, the, 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 some of the most, the, one of the most powerful moments in that whole situation was that I came over and I just was sitting with them. We don't always have all the answers. I can't explain why, but I can do this. I'm here for you because I love you. And because Christ loves me, I'm here to love you back. And listen, in every tragic situation, such a tragic, tragic story, but we all walk through tragic situations. We live in a world where there's tragedy all around us, your coworkers, your schoolmates, your employees, your neighbors, we're all walking through tragedy. And so here's the thing, as Christians, we should be the first to just say, I'm here for you. Not, oh yeah, I'm praying for you, and then you never even think about them again. But being people that's saying we're willing to get uncomfortable, we're willing to inconvenience ourselves. Why? Because we know that's what Jesus did for us. He was willing to inconvenience himself on the cross and be there for us, and so we want to turn around and do the same for you. And we're in painful situations with people that when they're pain, it can make us uncomfortable and it can make us feel like, oh, well, we don't know what to do or what to say. So, oh, I guess I'll just kind of give them their space. No, yes, give people space if they want it. But we should be a people that are saying, we want to love you and be there for you no matter what you're walking through. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. Mary shows us such a beautiful picture. She never told Jesus, let me tell you how to do this. Let me fix this problem. In fact, Mary didn't fix the problem. Jesus still died. And yet she, she still chose to be there. Being there for people in their time of need. Then we got John. I'm closing, I promise. We have John. And I love John because the scripture says that Jesus looks at him. And he says, behold, this is your mother. Wait a second, Jesus. This ain't my mom. I already got a mom. Two moms, too much. I've already taken care of my mom. But the Bible says that he says, behold, this is your mother. And mother, behold, this is your son. And the Bible says immediately Jesus then took her in as his own. Many theologians believe that for more than a decade, Mary continued to live. That John took care of her for more than a decade after Jesus died. 
Here's what's interesting. We're talking about the power to say, stay, and the power to serve one another. Here's what's interesting. Jesus said, not Jesus, excuse me, John said, I'm willing to serve Mary. I'm willing to say, I'm gonna serve Mary with my life, even if it's inconvenient for me, why? One, because Jesus asked me to. But then two, because I wanna be a person that continues to love and serve others. It's interesting, because Jesus had other brothers. Many of you probably know that. Jesus had other brothers. Well, here's the interesting thing. In biblical times, in this time period, if you had other brothers, if the oldest brother passed away, the responsibility of caring for your mother would then get taken over to the next son in line. So this was not John's responsibility. In fact, it was one of Jesus' brother's responsibilities. But his brothers did not do it. Why? I'm glad you asked. I want to show it to you today in John chapter 7 and verse 3. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Now, you may, you, you, no one wants to become a public figure. No one to, uh, what, I can't even read. No one who wants to become a public feeder, figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus' brothers are telling him, I need, I will just go, go, go to these other places. And the reason why they're saying it, it says it right here, because even his own brothers did not believe in him. Here's what's interesting. Jesus' brothers at this time period, now later on in life, we know that Jesus' brothers came to know the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. In this time period, when Jesus is, is, is on the cross, many theologians believe that Jesus' brothers still did not believe till after resurrection, okay? So he's on the cross. He looks at John and he says this, behold, this is your mother. Why? I believe one of the main reasons is because right here it says his brothers didn't believe. And so here's what's interesting. John chose to, to fulfill a role caused by unbelief. John chose to fulfill a role, a responsibility, a need that was vacant because of unbelief. What an incredible picture of spiritual family. John chose to serve. John chose to say, I'm gonna give my life. Why? Because I want you to know, even though they don't believe, I do. And I want, I want to walk with you. Even though you're not my real mom, I'm gonna choose to accept you and love you as though you are. What an incredible picture of spiritual family. Spiritual family, like what is that? Spiritual family is a bunch of people that aren't related by blood, but they're related by understanding and believing in Jesus and God connects us to a local church and then now well, here's what happens now we begin to serve one another to care for one another to help one another in a different way than relatives and family members can uh, God gives all of us maybe because you're in a different area than your family maybe because your family doesn't believe but God gives us spiritual family and it's up to us to choose like John did to serve to serve one another. We're not here. You're not a part of this church if you call yourself a part of this church. You're not a part of this church just to be here and feel good about yourself and look good and leave. No, God has called you to be a part of this church to serve others around you in, your, in this church. Spiritual family. Oh my goodness, God has given so many of us so many different gifts. He's given all of us so many unique gifts. Oh, I'm so grateful for the amount of people God has given us with gifts. And all of us have gifts, whether you think you do or not. But I think of our kids' workers. 
They're right now, God only knows what they're doing. But I worked in kids' ministry 20, about 20 years ago. Let me tell you something. God only knows what's happening in that room right there. But I'm so grateful for them. Why? Because they're using their gifts, their heart to serve our children. So our children can be loved, can have a safe space, but also can have a place to learn about Jesus because our world isn't teaching them. I don't know if you've been around lately in the public schools or any school, but not many people are teaching our children about Jesus. And so, oh, I'm so grateful that they would spend their weekends, their Sundays, they get up early and prepare, that they would come and teach our children about who Jesus is. Not only that, but they give us that are parents an opportunity to be able to come in and be able to go and worship without having to worry about what our children's up to. We to be able to worship, to be able to learn, to be able to grow. Oh, what a gift they have. And I'm so grateful for that. I think of our worship team up here. They get here earlier than anybody else, and they practice and they prepare. Why? Because they want to honor God with their gifts, yes, but also they want to use their gifts to honor him, but also to serve us so that we would have the opportunity, the privilege to be able to corporately worship together. There's not many things on this planet more powerful than corporate worship. And it's because of them. It's not because of me. If I got up here and sang, let me tell you something, you ain't singing, you leaving, you're not gonna be like, man, I really wanna sing this song with him. No, you're not. You're gonna be like, what's wrong with that dude's voice? I'm so grateful for them. They would use their gifts to serve us. I think about the production team. Oh my gosh, they get no credit for anything. And oh, I'm so grateful for them. Now they mess up a lot. God bless them. Praise God for them. I'm just joking. But seriously. Could you imagine the pressure of me being here and you back there? My God, I wouldn't want to do it. But I'm so grateful for them. Why? Because if the lights didn't come on, if the microphones didn't work, if the screens didn't come on, everybody would be distracted. And through the distractions, we would never be able to receive what God has for us. And so they're using their gifts. Oh my goodness, what a gift. Let me tell you something. It's a gift. Why? I don't even know how to turn the boards and the lights on, much less move the dials. You know what I'm saying? Y'all be seeing pink lights and purple lights. I'm like, yeah, I think it's working. You know what I'm saying? What a gift. I think of our parking lot team. Oh, I'm so grateful for our parking lot team. They get here early. They put on these vests and they wave at you and you curse at them because you want to park in a certain spot. And they're just like, come on, come on. And you're like, no, no, that way. They're like. I'm so grateful for our parking lot team. I'm so grateful for our greeters. Oh my gosh, there's so many greeters and they're so overwhelming. Sometimes I want to shoot them. <laughs> I'm joking. That's a joke. But here's what I know. I'd rather be overwhelmed with being welcomed than not being welcomed at all. And I'm so grateful for our greeters. They would come and they would spend their energy and their time serving you, serving me. I'm doing my best to use my gift to serve you to help you, to teach you, to challenge you to grow. We all have different gifts, but I do know this. God has called all of us to use our gifts, not for our own glory, but for his. God has called all of us to honor him with our gifts, but also to serve one another with our gifts. You don't believe me. I'm glad you asked. Last scripture, and I'm gonna read it to you. First Peter chapter four and verse 12. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God. Use it to serve one another 
You've been coming to this church for a while. Let me tell you something. Maybe you're not serving. Maybe you are. I don't know, but I want to tell you this. You have a gift that God wants to use to serve others. We need you. You're like, oh, everything's situated. They got the screens right. They got the greeters right. No, let me tell you something. If you have a gift, I know this. God wants to use it to help others see and experience him. If we get to the place of where we take the world's concepts of consumerism and bring it into the church where we think we come and we just receive, we have missed part of the gospel. And the greatest thing we can do to be more like Jesus is to serve others. Why? Because the Bible says himself, he didn't come to be served, but to serve others. We never look more like Christ than when we serve. And so you may have a gift, time to use it. You may not have a gift, time to bring some things out and let's use you anyway. Why? Because God wants us, because I know this, the more God brings us together and use our gift, the more we're allowed others in our community to see his goodness through us. And that is the purpose of why we come. It's not so that we can just hear a good word. Yes, we want to be challenged. It's not just so we can worship. Yes, we want to worship. But the purpose of why we come is so we can gather together to be encouraged, to be motivated, to be challenged, to show the world who he is. Oh my goodness, I feel good about this. Praise God. God desires for us to be faithful. And faithful in our devotion, faithful in our, in our affection, and faithful in the ways that we, our direction, and our purpose. Those are the all things. But God also wants us to be faithful with our gifts. Faithfulness is not just I don't. Faithfulness is also I do. And I give my life to serve others so they will see God through me. Amen. Can we pray today? Father, I thank you so much.